0: As we were in the car the other day, my kids asked, what, what's your favorite holiday, Daddy? What's your favorite holiday? And I quickly said, Christmas. Christmas is my favorite holiday. And, and you think of Christmas, and maybe as a kid you, you just have different things that immediately come to mind, but for me I think of Christmas and um, there's certain things that, that just trigger joy in my heart when I think about Christmas. Um, I think of even Thanksgiving weekend when you turn the radio on and they start playing Christmas carols and Christmas songs. You just get excited about it. It's like almost Christmas. They just want to get us shopping, but it's almost Christmas. Like It's just around the corner. And and, and the smell of a Christmas tree or um, I look forward to, to coming to church and, and a sweet member of our our church buys all these poinsettias and puts them up here and they plant them in the front and just coming to church and seeing like, oh, it's Christmas time. We have poinsettias here. And, and, And you think of all of the things that are around Christmas that we enjoy, getting together as family, opening presents. It's a joy just thinking, you know, the little ones and them opening presents. Some of you have big kids now or you have grandkids now and you watch them and it's always funny to be able to watch the kids open presents and they, they open them and and you've purchased this and you've spent so much time thinking about what it is that you're going to get this little one and and they're far more excited about the wrapping paper or the packaging than they are about the actual gift that you got them. And, and you think of what Christmas means to so many people in the world and what they think about. And they think about jingle bells and they think about reindeer and they think about grandma getting run over by the reindeer and they think of, of just the fun things that, you know, come with, with Christmas time, um, Santa and these different things. My, my kids, they, they, they don't know much about Santa. I, I, I. I remember conversations where Jonathan just, you know, where he probably should know. It's like, who's the who's the strange-looking old man with that red outfit on? And we're like, oh, you're the only one that doesn't know this. And so we go on to explain and um, and ruin Santa probably for all your kids. But you... You, you you think and, and you think of so much of what takes place as the whole world celebrates Christmas. Lights on the boats and going down and seeing that and seeing Christmas trees that are just magnificent. But here in the midst of John chapter 6, Jesus has fed the 5,000 men and all the women and children. He... He's walked on water. He's healed all kinds of people. And then he begins to teach in a synagogue at Capernaum. And when we look at our text, we see that he's there with a very specific purpose to minister to these people. And he talks about His coming. He talks about Christmas. Let's read the text before us this morning, beginning in John chapter 6. And this morning we'll be looking at verses 47 through 59. Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread, which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he'll live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Most assuredly, as we finished last week, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. Here, the Lord is speaking to these people, and when you when you read these words, remember who it is that's writing this—the one that that is the creator of the entire universe, the one who spoke things into existence. The one who's writing this is the one who has always existed. He is eternal. He's perfectly holy. He's perfectly good. He's all powerful. He's a all places, at all times. He knows everything that could ever possibly be known. He's perfectly righteous. He knows truth, and when he says something, it is certain. And so he says, truly, truly, or most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. The one who believes in me has life that is eternal, as everlasting life. And then he goes from there to say, in verse 48, I am the bread of life. It's the beginning of the I am's that we'll find in the Gospel of John. You'll find that he'll say things like, um, like I am the light of the world, or I am the door, or I am the good shepherd, or I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. But he begins here by saying, in the series of of seven I am titles, here we have the first one in John 6 where he says, I am the bread of life. I'm the bread of life. Look at this and there's a reason why he said this. It's important for us on a morning like this to think about this. I'm the bread of life, the bread that gives life, new spiritual life that no bread, including manna that came down from heaven, could ever give. I can give life. I'm the bread of life. I am the one that can give it. It's the sustenance of what they eat and what, what is able to sustain them. You think of the Israelites there in the wilderness and being so hungry and and God causing manna to come down from heaven every single morning and they would take it and they would eat it and they had to take it just for that particular day and the next day there'd be new manna that would come and if they tried to keep it overnight it would turn rotten and spoil and be incredibly gross. But God provided new manna for them every single day. His people who were there Hungry and starving in the wilderness, and God just says, I'll provide manna, I'll provide manna, I'll make it so every day you get this so that you are fully satisfied. But why would He have them starving there in the wilderness? Why have them be at a place of, of being hungry so that He could have manna come down from heaven to feed them? I look, and, and there's a reason why God does everything. That he does I think of, of being in, in South Sudan during starvation and looking and, and, and seeing these people who I mean the starvation was as severe as you could ever imagine and you wonder why like why God could have manna come down for these particular people but he's not I mean, there's, it's not that he's not incapable of it. And then seeing these people just worshiping under a tree and being there, and they're there under this tree having a church service and thanking God for the war, thanking God even for the starvation. Saying things like, we were worshiping animals and trees before this, and now we know Christ. To be able to look and say there's a purpose in the things that the Lord does. Even incredible trials in our lives there's a purpose for it. Well, there was a purpose for the Israelites in the wilderness being hungry. And it was so that it would be a picture of Christ who was to come. Manna. So Jesus is saying to them, I'm the bread of life. I'm the bread that that not only gives life, but removes death. And the possibility of spiritual death for all eternity. I, I'm the bread. Not only do I give life, but I... Remove death. I removed the chance of wrath. The bread of life, the greatest demonstration of love, greatest demonstration of love. When He talks about being, I am the bread of life. We see that just as 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 wheat is taken and, and placed on the ground and on that threshing floor and it's ground up and then made into dough and then thrown into the fire, likewise Christ came here to Earth to be ground on the threshing floor and placed in a fire of the cross that he might die for our sins and take upon himself the wrath that we deserved. The bread of life, it's the highest mercy ever granted. I'm the bread of life. I am am the highest mercy that has ever been granted to you. The sweetest grace imaginable. Christ, the bread of life, is he who satisfies us for all eternity, giving us everlasting joy in him. Most of us know what it is like to be hungry, don't we? You know what it's like to be hungry. You know what it's like to be in a place of just like oh, I'm starving. That's what we say. We're really not. I doubt any of us have ever been starving, but you feel like you are. It's like I just, I just need some food. I just need some food. And and what takes place when going from a place of having an empty stomach to having it be filled with bread. Just incredible satisfaction, joy. Our joy and the duration um, of our time with Christ is, is everlasting because Christ is everlasting. He sat- sat- satisfies us for all eternity. As the bread of life, Christ is able to satisfy the deepest needs and the longings of our soul completely. And he says, I'm the bread of life. In verse 49, he says, Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. There was manna that was, came, came down from heaven and your fathers, they ate that. But they're dead now. His point is, I'm the bread of life that makes it so that's not the case. The Jews ate the manna in the wilderness, but it did not give them eternal life. They all eventually died. But this is where the bread that comes from heaven is far superior. He says in verse 50, this is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. I'm the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and died, but I'm the bread of life that comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. Not die. You think of Christ coming to earth, and they're laying in, in a manger, and, and being there, and they're in the stable in Bethlehem. And we look at this taking place, and we look at just the, the awe of, of the creator of this universe becoming a man, born in a stable, laid in a manger, But God giving us insight here to say, this is the bread of life coming down from heaven to you. So that if you eat of me, Christ says, you won't die. You won't die. In verse 51, he goes on and says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Think of Christ as describing Christmas to us. He's talking to the people and he's going, he's teaching in the synagogue, I'm the bread of life. Manna in the wilderness, I'm the bread that comes from heaven. I'm the bread of life. And if anyone eats this bread, you'll live forever. It's the best thing that you could ever hope for. The greatest gift that you could ever imagine. The greatest mercy that you could ever, could ever come into your mind. If anyone eats this bread, he'll live forever. And then he shifts to, And the bread that I shall give is my flesh. He immediately goes from the point of, I'm the bread that comes down from heaven, this is who I am, it's my flesh. The bread that I shall give is my flesh. He goes from talking about coming down from heaven as the bread of life to the cross. We think of Christ coming and and we think of him being there and, and, and being placed in the manger and being raised up and and always living in such a way where there was no sin, tempted in all ways yet without sin. The power to feed 5,000 men and the women and children, to heal the sick, to make blind people able to see, lame people able to walk, to raise people from the dead. But for you and I, as glorious as all that is, that he created all things and has done all these, him coming to earth is of no use to us apart from the cross. It's just not. We're sinners who are dead in our sins and trespasses. There's nothing that we could ever do to earn favor with him. If he comes to earth and shows us a perfect example of righteousness heals people, raises them from the dead, but never goes to the cross to die on the cross for our sins, we are still without hope. There's still no chance for us There's nothing that we could ever do to be able to have any kind of fellowship with him. There's nothing that we could ever do to ever make it so that our sins are paid for, that we could be his sons and daughters, his bride, to be able to spend eternity with him. There's nothing that we could ever do. And here he's speaking to these people, I'm the bread of life. I come down from heaven. You eat of me and you'll live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh. It's my flesh. When I'm talking about the bread that's coming down from heaven, the bread is my flesh. Which I shall give for the life of the world. It's my flesh. I'm giving you my flesh. The cross. It goes to the cross. It immediately he points them to the cross. I'm going to give my flesh for the life of the world. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. What does God require of us? You see here, if anyone eats of this bread, he'll live forever. We're to eat of him, as we'll see as he goes on. We're not just to taste of him. We're to eat of him. Meaning, we're to hope in him. We're to believe in him. We're to place our faith in him. We're to trust in him alone for our salvation. We're to commit our lives totally and completely to him. When you read the words here, it's not, if anyone would just acknowledge my existence, you'll live forever. It's not anyone who tries to do all the things that I did will live forever. He's very clear here in saying, if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. I'm the living bread, which comes down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he'll live forever. You hear in, in John six thirty seven earlier, when we studied that, where he says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. Coming to him. Eating of him. It's possible for us to be at a place where we come to church, we sit here, and we recognize that God exists, we recognize that he was born in a manger, we recognize that he died on the cross, but we're just tasting of him, and that's not thats not what Christ is saying here. Our hope is to be in him. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. John 6, 47. From there, he says, the Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now, that's a fair question. They're looking, saying, like, what is he talking about? How does he give us his flesh to eat? Is this some kind of cannibalism? What is taking place? What is he saying? They're arguing amongst themselves. What is he saying? So then Jesus answers them in verse 53 Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Now you may look and say, that's probably not the clarification that they were looking for. He just goes even further. He says, okay, you guys are quarreling amongst yourselves? Truly, truly, most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Not only do you not have eternal life, but you have no life in you if you don't partake, eat of His flesh, drink of His blood. We can look at the bread. We can study it see what it's made of. We can describe it in detail. But if we don't eat it, it does not become part of us. It's not in us. It doesn't become a part of our makeup. Therefore, it's not enough to know the facts about Christ. We must eat of him. We must have him in us to where he is a part of our makeup. We believe in him. We hope in him. All of our trust is in him. to drink his blood. I look at this and I think of the Passover. The Passover lamb. You remember in in the book of Exodus where they're there in Egypt and God's people are there and they're in slavery and there's all of these these terrible plagues that come upon the Egyptians prior to um, the Pharaoh finding, finally letting the people go and it, it comes to where there's this plague that's coming upon them that, that is such that it's going to kill the firstborn in every household and God calls them to take a lamb that's that, that, that's without blemish and, and to take it and, and to kill it and to put the blood on the doorpost. You remember this? Let, let me read the account for you I think it's interesting. In Exodus, you could turn there if you like but keep your finger there in, in John 6. Exodus 12 verse 5. Exodus twelve five. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now there's something key to recognize here. It has to be a lamb that is without blemish. It's got to be a perfect one. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. Same time that the crucifixion took place. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. And then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat it raw nor boiled at all all with with water, but roasted in fire, its head with its legs and its entrails. You shall let none of it remain until morning, and what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire, and thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, so you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. You read that, and you have this picture of Christ there. The lamb without blemish. John the Baptist, behold the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. The blood that is spilled and, and and the blood placed on the doorpost. And God says, when I see the blood, I will pass over that house. When I see the blood, there's mercy that is given to those people, to that household. Blood, there has to be the shedding of blood for the remission of sins. When I see the blood, when you look and and." and you, you do what I say, and you take the animal without spot, without blemish. You kill it, and when you put the, door, the, the blood on the doorpost, when I see that, I'll pass over the house. You couldn't just kill the animal. You had to take the blood and put it on the doorpost. That was absolutely critical for you to be spared. The blood of Christ shed. But then you go from there to look at this, and what does God say? Take that lamb now and eat it. Eat the whole thing. Eat the entire thing that night. Make sure you eat the entire thing that night. Whatever's left over, burn with fire, but eat the whole thing. And then we go back to the Gospel of John. We see what Jesus says there. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Even there in the Passover when they're saying eat the whole lamb after it. After you kill it, after you put the blood on the doorpost, eat it. It's pointing ahead to Christ to where he's saying, you must eat of me. You must believe in me, hope in me. Make it so that all of your hope, all of your faith is in me. In verse 54, he goes from there in John chapter 6. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. This verse is just incredible importance to us. To be here on a morning like today and to be able to look and say, okay, so Christ, after feeding the 5,000 and walking on water and healing all the people and teaching the people, he's going from there to talk about Christmas and talk about the bread of life that has come down from heaven, and we must eat of him. We must believe in him. We must hope in him. It's all going back to the verse forty seven Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. You must eat of me, my blood. In Acts twenty, twenty-eight it says, Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. That idea, eat of me in the blood. It's all going to a place of pointing to Christ and Him crucified. The idea of blood comes up over and over again. Romans 5, nine. Much more than now, having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. You must eat my flesh. Drink my blood. My blood is absolutely essential. You will be saved from wrath through me. Because of my blood. Ephesians 1 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Ephesians two thirteen. But now in Christ Jesus, you once who are far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. It's his blood that has been shed. You must you must eat my flesh, you must drink my blood, and you have eternal life. Hebrews ten nineteen. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Or 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by the tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without spot, or without blemish and without spot. He here in John chapter 6 is just pointing these people straight to the cross and faith in him. You must eat of me. You must drink my blood. You must consume me, and you'll have eternal life. And I will raise you up at the last day. I will. It's glorious. I... I... I look at Christ here and just Him being there speaking with these people. I'm the bread of life. I will satisfy you. I will make it so that you will eat of me and spend eternity with me. I will make it so that I am for you every single day just as there was the man in the wilderness. I will be there for you every single day. The only difference is is that you will not die like your fathers did. You will spend eternity with me. But you got to eat of me. You can't just taste me. You can't just look at me. You can't just know what I'm like. You must partake. Think of the invitation that is here. Think of the invitation of the sovereign God of this universe saying, eat of me. Whoever comes to me I will in no way cast out, but you must eat of me. To have eternal life. You must. You must hope in me. You must put your faith in me. Eat my flesh. Drink my blood. In John 6.55 he says. For my flesh is food indeed. and my blood is drink. Indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. You will have a closeness with me. You will abide in me and I with you. But you got to eat the bread that comes from heaven. You have to eat the living bread. You eat that living bread and I will I will abide with you and you with me. Not only will you have eternal life. Not only will there be no more wrath, not only will there be no more sin, not only will you be totally satisfied, but I will abide with you and you with me. We will be together for all eternity. Just the radicalness of that. I mean, when you think of a holy God that cannot be a part of sin whatsoever, God who makes it so that there is hell and there's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth where the fire is quenched, where the worm cannot die, black is darkness, everlasting fire. And to be able to think that he says, but I'm the bread of life. I've come down from heaven for you. I was born in Bethlehem. I was laid in a manger. I lived a perfect life. I was tempted in all ways yet without sin. I've come to a place where where you crucified me and I was killed and I died on the cross and my blood was spilled. But whoever believes in me and eats of that flesh, and drinks of that blood, whoever consumes me, and all of their hope is in me, you have eternal life, and I will raise you up in the last day, and you will abide with me, and I will abide with you. There is a closeness that is there where it's not just like, Okay, like he's there and I'm, you know, I hope I've done everything right. He's like, no, consume of me. You will be a part of me and I will be in you. You'll be found in Christ and, and have his righteousness and be in a place where you'll spend eternity because of Christ. Eat of me, abide in me. paul got this where he said in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The bread of life. Verse 57 goes on and says, As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so, who, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. Our only hope is Him. No other hope in this world. When we think about what took place when Christ came here to earth and lived His life and died, He has made it so that we are able to feed on Him and live, and it is all because of Him. There is no other way. From there, Jesus says in verse 58, This is the bread which came down from heaven. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he taught in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. I pray that at this time of Christmas, when there's all that is taking place, The gifts, the wrapping paper, the Christmas tree, the meals, the spending time together as families, all that takes place. I pray that. that we would think of this message that he taught in John chapter 6. After doing just incredible works, say, you want to know why it really came down? Because I was the bread of life. I was the one that was going to satisfy you and sustain you and make it so that you could have eternal life. Just eat of me. Just eat of me. Just eat of my flesh and my blood. Consume me. I'll abide with you for all eternity. For that's the reason why he came. He didn't come for any other reason than to fulfill all righteousness and to pay the price for our sin. So that you and I could have eternal life. It's not chestnuts roasting on an open fire. It's not mistletoe. It's not Santa and Rudolph and whatever else. It is This glorious display of the grace of God and the character of our Savior who said, I came from there down to earth to be the bread of life so that you would never hunger again and you would never thirst again and you would have eternal life and I will raise you up on the last day the greatest gift that we could ever hope for in the midst of all of the chaos of Christmas. It all comes right back to our Savior who is the bread of life. May we feast on him this Christmas. Christmas. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you. We thank you so much for the gift of your son. Christ, thank you so much for coming to earth as the bread of life and just teaching us from John chapter 6 of why you came down and what that means to us. The invitation that comes just to eat of you, hope in you, have our faith in you, believe in you, trust in you, put all everything as far as that we have is to be in you. Your death, your blood being shed your resurrection so that we can know with certainty that we have everlasting life and that you will raise us up on the last day. It's glorious. All the things that the world hopes for at Christmas time. The songs and the fellowship and the gifts and the family and relationships, and all of those things. It may be there for some of us, but for some of us it might not be there. But for all of us, we can sit here this morning and know that we are filled with joy inexpressible and full of glory because we have consumed of the bread of life, our Savior. And we will be raised up at the last day. Bring the greatness of that fact, those facts, into our minds, and may it just ignite us to praise you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.